Hello, welcome to Only God Rescued Me, my journey from satanic ritual abuse. I'm Lisa Meister, your host. Very happy to bring back to you Angie Power Disney. Welcome back, Angie. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. And you're such a safe space. I really appreciate uh, the safe space that you are for people to disclose. You're welcome. I'm very glad. We have to be safe with each other because we're certainly not safe out in the world. Well, I'm trying to be less paranoid. Um, I've become so cynical that I uh, almost got blackpilled, as they call it, and I don't trust anybody. And then I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I've tried to readjust. Uh, you know, I've been working through your playlist and um, Emma's playlist on the imagination. And some people I'm like, meh, 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 you know. And then I think, like, be quiet, just listen, take the best, leave the rest. Um, so I'm just trying to readjust. I'm trying to find what we have in common as opposed to what we might disagree on. And that's without compromising on the gospel. Anyway, so the, the first thing I want to say passionately, I've been working in this field, you know, most of my life, but online since about 2009. And um, people consistently say, especially Christians with a good heart, they consistently say, what can we do? And normally we say, well, like, subscribe, share, donate, and so on. And 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 I've I've actually come up with a new thing that really genuine researchers, potential campaigners, advocates can do. And it used to be called the mission field, you know, like you know, you'd get involved with the church and it's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to go and preach the gospel in the four corners of the world. I'm going to go to the mission field. I'm going to go to Africa. and I'm going to go to here, there and everywhere. You know, and that, that might be your calling. But for those that are called to the field of exposing satanic ritual abuse, child sexual abuse, child exploitation, child trafficking, organ uh, harvesting, um, blackmail, you know, um, government by blackmail, all of that, if you feel a calling in that area, one way that you could be called to the mission field, and I'm just suggesting this, uh, and, and I'd like to pray actually, but is I have so much evidence up the kazoo in my filing cabinet, in my attic, in my archives, and so on and so forth, that I would welcome an intern, a researcher, as long as they're not planted, I would welcome somebody saying, okay, I've fundraised, I can come over to you for a month, I'm gonna go through all your documents, I'm gonna scan them, I'm gonna upload, help you upload them, I'm gonna document them, um, you know, I, I'm going to fact check your story. I would be ecstatic. So I'm just appealing, and this only came to me about an hour ago, you know, and I'm, 
this only came to you about an hour ago, but for those especially, now it can't be somebody completely green. You have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and have a certain amount of research under your belt. But if you feel drawn to this field where um, survivors, victims, overcomers, victors, whatever you want to call us, have disclosed, and we are still struggling with linear uh, timelines and, like, we're still dissociating and we've got some injuries that may might discredit us. If you are of a sound mind and, um, you know, genuinely want to go into the mission field, I'm declaring that this is a new mission field. So you say to Lisa, to Emma, to whoever is out there, the Becky and the other girls, like to whoever is on the front line, I want to work in this mission field. I'm willing to take a gap year between high school and university or after university. Like, send me somewhere. Send me. And if so, I've said this like multiple times. Please help. Um, what they call it when they put all the uh, evidence together. Um, there's a word for it. Anyway, you put it all together. Like I have, I have vast amounts of evidence, and um, I would really appreciate a research assistant. That's just a call out. That's just that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yes. It's literally, it's like the new um, cyber age um, and the new paradigm. Like we thought we were just evangelizing, you know, into third world countries or into whatever. It, it, it's a new 21st century. Like if a young or in their 20s, or questioning Christian says, I want to go in the mission field, but I don't quite see myself, you know, as a pseudo-Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or whatever, door-knocking, but I really want to go into the mission field. I want to give a year of my life at least before I, you know, get a job, get married, get a mortgage, get, you know, like, then this is an opportunity. I really think it is. Or you get a couple weeks vacation? Yeah, a couple of weeks is a bit short because of dissociation and trust issues. Yeah, so like, like a month. month would be yeah, month like the smallest bit. Like I've had people, you see, the thing about uh, MK Ultra survivors and even yourself, SRA survivors, is people can be sent in on you. And so that's right. alarming. So... It takes me a week or 10 days to actually discern if somebody is, it's terrible to say, but I've had Deutsche Bank agents sent in on me. I've had um, uh, secret society agents sent in on me. I've had, you know, multiple Germans sent in on me. Um, so it it's a kind of a trust thing. It would be nice to think you could do it in a month. But I tend to think it's more of a, I don't know, I see it in a, a year 
like transition year, like a gap year, like and like a missionary year. Like if the Mormons, who sadly are a cult, you know, if they can have their youngsters do two years service, why is it too much to expect Christians to say, or even let's let's go six months? Why is it too much to say to Christians? You know, if you really, really, really are committed to exposing child trafficking, satanic ritual abuse, um, trauma-based mind control, if you're really seriously committed to this, then we have a six-month placement for you or a one-year placement for you. That's just, that only came to me like an hour ago, Lisa, so I might be wrong. I think it's a great idea. I think we need to pursue it. And if anybody's called out there, yeah, that anybody then, you know, get in touch. But the thing I wanted to cover, uh, uh, like this is part five, God knows. Like this is part five, but I wanted to kind of conclude my personal testimony today. And I wanted to launch again, um, like draw a line in the sand and say, look, this is my story. I've told it before. It gets more detailed. I need to write a book, but like, it's my story. And then I want to talk about the Hampstead case with Lisa. And then I've asked Lisa, can we connect once a month? Because we have the same goals. We have the same commitment. But I do need to speak about that. I gave Lisa some notes because I dissociate from what, what I planned to say. And I gave her some notes. And then I said, can we please talk about my sister, whom I believe was murdered. So do you want to start with her? Or do you want to start with the top of my notes? Yeah, let's go from the top and then concentrate on, on your notes. And then and then next time, let's go deep into the hamster case, because if anybody follows my socials, that is hotting up big time. All right, we started with Derek Betteridge. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay, Derek Betridge. So I was born in 57. Um, my sister, who is now dead, was born in 56. And um, they call us Irish twins because we're less than a year apart in age. We're 11 months separated in age. And... Um, that picture behind me, which was valued in America at about $10,000, it's an oil on canvas painting by an artist called Colleen Black, um, and it's called Soul Sisters, and she gave it to me, um, and um, I kept it. I didn't sell it. I you know, maybe could have sold it for $5,000, or I don't know what, but... I kept it because it reminded me of my sister, who I believe was murdered. So um, remind me of the trigger word again that you gave me? Phone sex work proposition. Right, Derek Batridge, right. Right, so even though Fiona, my sister Fiona, 11 months older than me, even though she was starting to come awake, and um, she saved me a few times in childhood emergencies, but she also 
was so ingrained in MK Ultra and programming that she kept trying to recruit me a bit like um, Ghislaine Maxwell, um, kept trying to pull me into things that, that, that were sinister. And one of those was Derek Betridge. He, he was a millionaire businessman in the UK in the 70s, friend of my father, and he had a son that he sponsored it. It's not Formula One. It's there's a name for it. Um, something racing. Um, anyway, I can't. Keeps floating out of my mind. But anyway, it's some kind of NASCAR kind of thing, like racing stuff. And he sponsored his son in that, who my sister dated. Although I was only twelve and she was only thirteen, but she said to me. You know, he's probably dead by now. I'm 65. He was, he'd probably be about 80 by now. So he's probably dead. But he's, but my sister Fiona's, who is also dead. And that's why I take the liberty of speaking on her behalf. Um, she said to me, and this was about, like, I was about 12, 57, 67. I was about 12 or 13, like 71, maybe 1971. And she, and back then she said to me, Derek Betridge is offering us some, so-and-so an hour if we do sex talk on telephone calls. And he's got an office up the road and we just have to go there and we just have to answer phone calls and talk dirty and we'll get paid all this money. And I, I was like, and it's like Andrew Tate, you know, the, the current, you know, it's like back in the 70s, I thought it was crazy, but now it's just an industry, you know? So Derek Betridge tried through Fiona to recruit me into that. And I, and I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, you know, Fiona was only 11 months older than me, but I believe she was possibly more severely abused. You know, we shouldn't make comparisons, but I believe she was very severely abused and she would regularly try to recruit me to higher levels of um, operating within, within the cult. Another time, not long after that, Okay, I'm just going to give a trigger warning. This might not be suitable for your children unless they're very prayed up and uh, protected. But another time, not long after, like I could only have been about 13, 14, she tried to get me in bed with her boyfriend. And I thought I was so innocent because there's a difference. I don't know if you have this, Lisa, I know at least one of your guests have it, that there's a differential in our uh, compartmentalised brains. So there's all the times we may have been abused and raped and, like, drugged and so on, but there's also another part of our brain that says, I didn't lose my virginity till I was 19. You know, I was pure. And so I was a bit of a prude, you know, according to programming, so I I would be horrified at these um, 
sex kitten. I would I, I was horrified at sex kitten programming. So when my sister tried to get me to get in bed with her boyfriend at the time, and and I and I innocently thought, even though I'd been abused, you know, probably raped hundreds of times in my childhood, but drugged into oblivion. But in my conscious mind, I thought, this is terrible. How could she do this to me? And um, and so, like, I thought I was getting into bed for a cuddle with my sister. And it was just, like, an inconvenient addition that her boyfriend was also in the bed. Anyway, I'm sorry to be graphic, but, like, I ran for my life. I ran. I was like... Oh my God, oh my God, what's going on? What's going on? So uh, th there's the thing of siblings grooming each other and siblings programming each other. Carolyn Hamlet goes into this. There are other survivors that go into this. And I, I could talk for hours about generational families being trained, brothers and sisters and stepbrothers and whoever, cousins, whatever, being trained to um, embed the programming. So, like, some people talk about being sent for programming once a week. Michigan was a hotbed. And so, and, like, when, when us children were growing up, we would be sent once a week, Saturday mornings, to the cinema when we didn't even have a television and like movies were just like, you know, like, you know, we didn't have a concept of that, but we would be sent every Saturday morning to view these programs and they literally were programs. I lost my chain of thought there. I definitely had a chain of thought, but never mind. Um, yeah. I the, the grooming between siblings, what you were talking about. Beyond that, but um, yeah, the sibling, I've lost the connection, but it will come back to me. And that's a that's an affirmation for people that have DID. If you if you lose the chain of your thought, I've learned that if I say to myself, it will come back to me. It does. It does. It's good. Yeah, it does. Like nine times out of ten, but so. What, did I have any more reminders? What What was that first reminder that you just gave me? The phone sex work proposition. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my sister propositioning, like my sister enticing me into very dodgy situations. So she tried to recruit me. And like, I know it's normal to people now, you know, the Instagram generation, the TikTok generation, the, you know, the, what they call it, OnlyFans generation, the Pornhub generation, it's normal. But back in 1970 or 71, to me, this was like somebody was speaking a foreign language. My sister is saying, Derek says, if we sit in this office for an hour a week and we talk dirty, I didn't even know what dirty talk was, but if we talk dirty to people on the phone, we'll make X amount an hour. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, you know. But um, anyway, so what was the next prompt? The car racing world. 
yeah, that was the yeah, that was the same kind of environment. Um, stock car racing. I wonder if it's called stock car racing. So Derek Bettridge and his son, I'll dare to say his name, who who you know recruited or dated my sister Neil Bettridge, millionaires. You know, stock car racing. I don't know if that's the right word. One of my earliest boyfriends went on to be a Formula One uh, mechanic, but he also was number three. He probably still is number three in the world in vintage Formula One racing, multimillionaire, um, and that and that's a huge area of um, MK Ultra and trafficking and. Uh, Tell me the prompt again. It keeps floating out of my head because I'm not supposed to share this stuff. But say the prompt again. Car racing world. Car racing world. Right, right. So, so myself and and then my younger sister. I've got. I'm one of five. And so myself and my young my my older sister Fiona, she dated this millionaire stock car racer's son and went around circuit. I don't think stock car racing is the right term. I can't remember it, but she went around the circuit and then he offered her job opportunities to, to do sex line chats in 1970 or 71. And then she tried to recruit me and I'm like, no. Um, but then myself and my younger sister got recruited as models to go around. Now, we went around horse racing circuits. So we would go to all the top horse racing, like Ascot and, you know, like all the top horse, you know, they're floating out of my head because I'm not supposed to share this stuff, but like good, good maze and um, anyway, all these top horse racing circuits we went round. Fiona went round the car racing circuits. And like I said, one of my boyfriends, is now a Formula One number three in the world, vintage uh, racing champion, multi-millionaire with government contracts. But like we were sent around like models and we would apparently be selling like lot raffle tickets, like lotto tickets. I don't know what you call them in America, but like we would be dressed up looking absolutely drop dead gorgeous in our early twenties, like, you know, like, you know those models that lie against the car? They lie against the um, bonnet of a car. What do you call it? The hood of a car, you know. It's just trying to sell cars by sex. So we would go to the racetracks and we would look gorgeous and we would sell thousands worth of uh, lottery tickets. Uh, but it was, it, you know, anyway. So that's just some of the areas that we were filtered into. So unless something else comes back to me, can you give me the next prompt? Because this is like, this is what dissociation is like, um, Lisa, because I sent you notes, I sent notes to Emma, and they go completely out of my head. It's like, I might not remember them for 10 years, you know? Well, and that's for the people that aren't understanding our dissociated parts. Each part holds a memory. So unless that part is presenting, 
in explaining that memory, the other parts aren't going to understand what happened. Nope. So, nope. you know, as that part's out and it's telling and then it disappears, yeah. you know, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a switch. A part comes out, explains something. The part's gone and other parts there. And that part's like, I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> deny, deny, deny. I don't know anything you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the next prompt? Uh, the threesome propositions by the 13-year-old sister, you did that or was there more than one? With a brother or with her boyfriend in bed? Yeah, yeah. I, I covered that in terms of, you know, and, I, and I, you know, I'll allow that because Fiona's gone. But yeah, yeah, she invited me into bed with her and her boyfriend. And I, and I was so innocent in my conscious front altar. I just thought, oh, maybe they, maybe they just want to cuddle. Maybe they like me. Maybe somebody will pay attention to me. So I climbed into bed with them and then started to get molested and thought, oh, oh, what's happening? What's happening? What's going on here? And, and I ran. I, 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 I just, so yeah, so I covered. And she was 14. Yeah, we were only 11 months apart in age. And then how old was her boyfriend? Probably 18. And I think probably embedded in the cult. There are many families in the UK that are renowned for cult membership, but there are some that go under the radar. And one slightly under the radar is Marks and Spencers. Like, my father was connected to all the... Um, primary cult families, castles, stately homes, private boarding schools. My father was connected to all of them through the military, through the Royal Air Force, but also because he was the top breeder of gun dogs. He was a horse whisperer and he was a dog whisperer and he was a top breeder and trainer of gun dogs. So um, one of the least researched cult operations in the UK, I believe, is Avon Tires, A-V-O-N, Avon Tires, Avon Rubber Company. I don't know if it's connected to Avon Cosmetics, which went on to become one of the most successful pyramid schemes in the world. I don't know, but Avon Tires and Marks and Spencers um, there's a family myth, legend in my family that my dad, when he would breed a litter of puppies from a top um, bloodline of dogs, he would hold back the best of the litter and say, this one's not for sale. And the elites would go crazy, like outbidding each other to buy the favoured puppy. And... Um, my dad acquired a hugely value, valuable shotgun um, from the head, sort of junior head of Marks and Spencers because he wanted my dad's prize puppy so much. He's like, I'll give you anything, name your price, what do you want, what do you want? You know, And he gave my dad like this shotgun worth thousands to acquire this puppy. But Avon Tires, like, like, there are names that have come up in my research and names like G.C. Marconi, Northrop Grumman, um, 
BAO, B, B, you know, like my mother inherited a few thousand worth of stocks from her brother, and they were all um, sort of deep state um, corporations to do with war and weapons and so on. And um, and my mother, I helped her sell her stocks and shares because she left my dad when she was 79 and, and she was in, you know, poverty for a year until she stabilised. And I helped her sell her stocks and shares. And it amazed me that she was saying, oh, BAE, yes, get rid of that. Northrop Grumman, oh, sell them, sell them. Like, oh, GC market, oh. It's like she had... Like she died at age seven three years ago, and she knew that a lot of these corporations were were wrong, were bad, were doing bad stuff, you know. So, um, um, what was the prompt again? Just to keep me coming back to focus. That was your sister, right? Yeah, yeah. So this guy that that was about my sister. I was about. 13 Fiona was about 14 he was about 18 he worked for Avon Tires and Avon Tires from Melksham in Wiltshire are definitely worthy of deep research as is you know Melksham in Wiltshire was close to a lot of military bases it's a bit like being close to Langley um or Fort Hood or you know it's like it's very very close to some major military bases and so we had GC in Marconi, we had um, Avon Tires, we had, um, you know, I grew up knowing these names, Northrop Grumman, and, and it's like, now I do my research, like, decades later, and it's like, well, my parents knew. They either knew or they were just familiar with the, like Ford. You know, my, my grandpa worked and anybody that wants to do research on Henry Ford and the Ford Corporation or Carnegie or like you can go down these rabbit holes and you'll find some shocking information. And my grandpa, my English grandpa worked for Henry Ford. My mother worked for Henry Ford. Um, it's just a lot of rabbit holes. OK, we'll move on to the next prompt because I try and get on to my sister's murder. Senior social worker CPS. All right, okay. Okay, so there's a there's a survivor called Carolyn Hamlet. I'm just this is what I love you for. Well, I love you for a lot of reasons, but and I don't even know you, so it's a bit random for me to say I love you, but like I love your platform and your heart because literally it's like you're pressing buttons that I might have sent you when they come up to surface and I'll say oh oh remember that remember that and then you make a note and you make a safe space to disclose that because normally those things are so programmed to be forgotten or not disclosed that that they float away so I might have a memory and boop gone gone right um so I need you to say that again the last prompt Senior social worker. Okay, 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 okay. So there's there's a there's a there's a survivor 
stroke programmer, ex-programmer called Carolyn Hamlet. And she's done the most profound work about what it was like to be a not just a victim, but a programmer. And this is done in generational families. Um, keeps floating out of my head. Right. So, so my father's was one of 11 surviving children out of 16. And I'm one of five and I'm starting to dissociate because I need to get this out. Please help me, Holy Spirit. And we didn't pray at the beginning, but we ask you to anoint this, Lord, and protect this. And, and, um, uh, Okay, so we were placed in positions of power and influence. So one, two, I'm one of five, and three of us were placed working for government. Sorry about, sorry about smoking. I'm trying not to dissociate too much or make excuses, but three of my five sisters were placed in local government in the UK. I was allocated to be an academic and a journalist, stroke spy. And the other one was allocated to be um, secretary of the hunt, like owner of the farm, you know, um, representative of Ireland in... Uh, international equestrian events and mother of a show jumping star now resident in America. So we were strategically placed. Um, and like my sister that died that I'm going to tell you about. She ended up being a senior social worker in child protective services with the authority to have children removed from their parents and force adopted. They often say, if you have a psychiatrist, a therapist or a social worker, if you dig deep enough, you'll probably find they have issues. You know, it's, it's a very, it's a very sad thing. And I'm very suspicious of social workers that try to have take authority over children's lives who don't have children. Um, anyway, so yeah, so my elder sister worked for 30 years for Lambeth County Council. My second elder sister, who I believe was murdered in 2015, worked for social services, child protective services on the Isle of Wight, which is renowned to be very Freemasonic and very satanic. Um, she was supposed to have 15 case files at any one time, and she normally had 40. Um, and David Icke comes from the Isle of Wight. And um, she either made a mistake or was part of it. I don't know which, but... She removed a baby from a mother because the mother 
a single parent had um, an alcohol issue. And so the mother, when the baby was asleep, maybe 10 at night, the mother would run out to the off-license and buy alcohol. And um, for some reason, she'd been caught doing this. And so my sister, as a senior child protection social worker on the Isle of Wight, warned her and said, if you do this again, you're going to lose your baby. And so this single parent with an alcohol issue, probably covering up much deeper issues, she was caught another time running to the off-license when her baby was asleep in the cot. And, and so my sister used her authority and removed the baby and put the baby in, in, in um, foster care. And then the baby turned up dead in foster care. The baby was reported to have a sudden infant death syndrome incident and died in foster care. And this mother was so understandably distraught. She's like, you took my baby because I was struggling and inappropriate and, and, and you put my baby somewhere so unsafe, my baby now is dead. So this mother stalked my sister for a year and finally put a brick through her window and became a threat to life as the social worker that took her baby away and the baby ended up dying, that my sister fled the Isle of Wight and retrained into child psychiatric services. And then and then um, she, she still owned a substantial property on the Isle of Wight and rented it out. But she reinvented herself in Manchester in child psychiatric services. She retrained. And um, but then she found corruption with the child psychiatrist. And I take my hat off to her. She started to expose it. And then she got targeted at work. She got she got absolutely um, like targeted off the charts because she was saying this is not right, this is going on, the consultant shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, blah, blah, blah. And um, she got targeted almost, you know, I, I think that contributes partially to her death. So I think that covers that last trigger thing I sent you. I, what was, just remind me, what was the trigger word was? The senior social worker. Oh, that's my sister. She was a senior social worker. She was that Fiona. Yeah, and she retrained. She she left the Isle of Wight because this mother, whose baby she forced yeah. adopted, ended up dead, and this mother was just fit to kill her. You know, and and um, I won't say anything that's YouTube unfriendly, but like one can empathize. So my sister rented her house out on the Isle of Wight, went to Manchester, retrained in child psychiatry, started working with children with ADHD and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And then she discovered a whole new nest of corruption in Manchester. And when she tried to whistleblow on it, she was targeted off the charts. 
Were there any more things that I sent you notes on? Other sister beaten by Manchester police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that's a random thing. Like, Manchester is a hotbed, but then so many cities are. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the living sisters because they don't consent. They're just in denial. So I think I'll leave that one alone, other than to say that in the projects and programmes we were placed into, from birth, I believe. But in the three years we lived in RAF Gibraltar, my eldest sister was like a lot of gifted child programs go on with MK Ultra subjects. So you keep getting IQ tested and you keep getting gifted child programs and offered these, you know, come to this school, that program, this project, this summer camp, because you're gifted or you, you know, whatever. Um and their engineering. And so my eldest sister was marked as gifted child from a young age. And I, she had a three hour radio show at the age of nine on, on uh, military radio, but it had a, like, it had a big reach. And I think I mentioned she was the only quote unquote journalist allowed to pop star Donovan's 21st birthday party in the cave of Gibraltar. And she got a ballet scholarship. Like she was literally, we were, the eldest three of us were all marked gifted children. I think you'll find that's very common with survivors. They, I think there's a thing about torture and dissociation that um, access accesses and this is one of my theories, and I, and I firmly believe this from all my years of research. They say most people only access about 10, maybe maximum 20% of the conscious mind. Um, and the rest is subconscious. But I believe particularly the elites or predator class found out that by certain traumas, you could induce children, even the Jesuits say, give me the child till they're seven years old and I'll give you the man. You can induce children to access deeper into the subconscious through trauma. They Some call it Kundalini. Some think it's the right of sodomy. You know, whatever excuse those horrible people put on it, but this is a big clue to why in the UK, the um, predator class will send their children to boarding school from the age of eight, and they will turn a blind eye willingly to their children being sodomized and abused by teachers and older students. It's part of the pecking order because they honestly believe that it will help their children access genius. You know, we might call it autism now, or we might call it different names, but they honestly believe that the Kundalini experience, as they call it, will, will mean their children will become young global leaders or politicians or 
broadcasters or famous people or geniuses of some sort because and there was a, a wonderful Christian doctor called Dr. Paul Hegstrom and he was a neurologist and he did a lot of research on this and he said and he documented, he's dead sadly, but he said and he documented that early trauma before the brain is fully developed will cause um you know, pseudo-genius traits and qualities simply because the brain is, is part of the genius of DID. The brain is trying to search for a context to make the trauma normal or, or you know, that you can process it. Like, like I listened intently about your valedictorian and 4.0 and huge achieving and overachieving and I've actually read a book I think I've still got it on my bookshelf somewhere that it's very common for abuse survivors to overachieve we kind of overcompensate or there is some truth to this luciferian thing that, that by early childhood trauma before the brain is fully developed you are like hadron collider forcing um access to the subconscious um and thus what people call genius so um hmm. yeah i do believe that i do believe that it's no accident it's no accident that Many genius people or high-achieving people will have severe trauma in their early years. And um, I believe that DID is not just a gift from God that, like, okay, you can dissociate from the pain, but I believe what the predator class have realised is not only will they dissociate, they will flip over to a different part of the brain and they'll end up prime ministers and presidents and CEOs and bankers and blah, 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 and valedictorians and top of their class. So, oh, yeah, let's send them to boarding school to get sodomized, you know. So that's a little sideways rant. So that was based on the trigger point of my sister. It's gone out my head again, but like, yeah, Senior yes, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so we let that go. So then she went on to be working with Greater Manchester Health Service in child psychiatry, and she uncovered some heavy shit with the psychiatric child psychiatric consultant. She tried to report it through all the normal channels and she started to get targeted off the charts. Right. So there, there, were there any more triggers? Uh, German birth certificate. Oh, yeah, I want to show that. Oh, God, it's in the house. Okay, can you talk? <laughs> can you talk among Perhaps. yourself? And I... <laughs> yes, I can talk among myself. <laughs> yeah, you may go find it. I'm going to go there. No problem. Okay. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that I don't know if they're justifying their abuse in that making us 
brilliant or forcing us to have excellence in our life. I, I think a lot of things that they do have to do with their justifications in what they do. I think my husband and I were talking about that just this morning, that perpetrators, criminals are justified in their mind for what they do. And then also in these groups that they do open a lot of doors for us in getting to colleges, in getting uh, into careers, into getting into politics for those that do that, the open doors that happen to them. And you have to start looking at the elites and how they get there. And sometimes you look at somebody in, in a political position and you say, how in the world did they get there? They should not have gotten there. Or you look at a star. I don't understand how they got to be where they are. And then you start seeing how the elite work, how they pull their strings, how they get each other's kids to where they go. Yeah, keep talking because I'm going to look because I was supposed to plan and I didn't. Like yeah. I, I checked on the Hampstead case. I was talking about how, you know, the parents justify what they do in all the doors they can open for us. I got it. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Quick as that. Right, this isn't a very professional way to show it. Right. Can you see that? Yep, I can see it. So hold it up higher. A little bit higher. A little bit higher. There we go. German, Britain, and Northern Ireland Command. Right. I shouldn't really show this. Like, I just please love Jesus and the protection of Jesus. But, like, the registration of birth, death, and marriage. Yeah, this is my German birth certificate. Uh, yeah, and I can provide this. This is why I want a research student. Because they can... They can Check and double check all this stuff. So 1957, you know, it confirms, it gives my father's military number. I shouldn't show my birth certificate, but like I'm so fed up with people calling me a liar. Oh my God. This is like this. REF Hospital, Vegberg, dated... It's even got a name. I don't, I'm scared. I'm going to say it. C.J. Newman registered my birth. Um, and that's not even the German one. Headquarters, Second Tactical Air Force. Like I have the registrations of birth, deaths, and Marriages Army Act 1879 and the Air Force Application of Enactment Number 2, Order 1918. So, like, I have documents that if people want to come, you know, like, people say, if you show your birth cert and your driving license, you're, you're going to get, um, you know, you're going to get doxxed online and all the rest of it. All right, here's more. 
Gibbutz Urkunda. This is a duplicate translation. Right. My original birth cert, that one I just showed you is like the RAF version. This is the German, like, oh, it's like so amateurish to show them like this. Wow. But it's the German, like, I'm not lying. When I talk about Project Paperclip and the wow. huge connection between the Nazis and now people think Project Paperclip just relates to America, but the British were so clever because they they just tried to frame it all on America that all the Nazis from World War II went to America in Project Paperclip. But um, actually, that's not true. They were they were secreted throughout British military in Canada with like you and Cameron, and um, uh, you know, in in the British military. So that's that, there's just so much evidence, and I've never been about. You know, I admire the Americans in a way because they're very litigious. So the Americans are very good at like, right, you know, like Virginia Dufre, um, you know, Virginia Roberts with Epstein. She's like, file this lawsuit, file that lawsuit, eventually it'll come out. And, and that seems to work, but I'm not about that. But at the same time, I've got so much evidence that when people say things like, Oh, these people, they just go on Emma's channel or Lisa's channel or the other two girls' channels and they just speak and, you know, they've got no evidence. Oh, we have evidence. Believe you me. The foreign birth register. Believe you me, we have evidence up the kazoo. It's just the ability to, to put it together and, and, and put it in um, time like time, uh, what do you call it, chronology, like linear documentation is very hard for people that have been drugged or hypnotised or tortured to never give evidence so that you feel like I can't possibly disclose that this is my original, wow. Well, this is my first marriage. Nobody's seen this. And if it's too just if it's too revealing, I will get it edited out. But I got married in California. Um I got that. Wow. I got I kept, I kept that mostly under wraps, and I'll say this to you, Lisa. Um, I was completely MK Ultra engineered into breeding with a Sicilian mafia guy in Marin County in California, and he, I got pregnant. I only slept with him twice but I got pregnant on the second day and he hounded me to abort the baby 
And when I went to the abortion clinic, there were Christians outside there, and I'm talking 1985. There were Christians outside the abortion clinic in San Rafael, uh, in Marin County, California. And they they weren't aggressive with me. They just said, um, do you know, it can take five years to get over the trauma of an abortion, or you could choose life and go through a really tough five years as a single parent, and, and then your little one would go to school and you'll kind of like be able to take a breath and kind of circle back to where you were in your life before it got inconvenient. And we will help you. And um, and and I chose that route. I, I, I had a dream from God two nights before the scheduled abortion and I, and I ran away. I didn't attend the abortion clinic and I went back to those Christians and said, you know, you said you might be able to help. Well, here I am. I'm pregnant in California on a tourist visa, um, you know, with a limited amount of funds. Can you help me? And they were amazing. They were amazing. They helped, yeah. they helped me. So this is, um, I'm just looking from, they were like, so this is what, this is my heart's desire that, anyway, look, it might just be a dream, but like, I've got 20 years worth, I'm compulsive at like saving documents and paperwork. And, but it triggers me every time I see something, it's like, it puts me, into a memory and into a flashback and all the rest of it. So, so anyway, I showed you my. See, it's triggering me. I showed you my German birth certificate, and and I've got so much more. So I think there might have been one more thing where I talked to you about multilingual programming. Is that right? Yep. Do you want to take a breath first? Oh, let's just look at these passports. Um, yeah, because we're not supposed to take a breath. We're not supposed to ever get centered and grounded enough to to do what we're doing right. Oh my God, oh my God. Sometimes just taking a break. Right, this is one of my father's earliest passports. Wow. Yeah, let me talk just to bring it back up. Yeah. Jesus. Mm, that just could... what does that bring up to you for you when you look at him? I can't look right now. I can't. I can't. I've gotten rid of all my dad's pictures, every single one of them. So sad, because I'm still going through the, um, I love them, you know, I'm still going through the trauma bonded. One of, one of your guests, I think one of yours, I think it was one of your guests, spoke about the incongruence of loving your, you know, Stockholm syndrome, the incongruence of loving your, abusers you know so um i'm just letting that be like i'm not beating myself up for that i'm just letting that be yeah 
so the so the, the before I run out of energy, right, the final thing I want to say, and this is not to show off, but this is to talk about MK Ultra programming and alters. So I want to do a sort of performing monkey thing where I speak three, four, five languages just briefly, just to demonstrate that not not to not to like it's not about attention seeking, it's about this is what they did to us. This is how they made us assets. They made us blend in. They made us chameleons. They made us uh, confused. They made us... And that's not to be a victim. That's, you know, I don't, I don't take blame. You know, other than saying to a child, you know, don't hit your sister or don't hit your brother or step away from the fire, I don't think ever a child can be held accountable for um, abuse that they suffered. So I just want to, I just want to, um, so I'm just going to just break into a few languages just to demonstrate that this is not, this, this is not made up, this is um, programming. So Alors, je m'appelle Angèle, 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 Angèle. Alors, euh, je parle français, je peux parler tout bien comme les Français. Alors, l'accent, c'est tout à fait euh, authentique. Et auch kann ich Deutsch sprechen. Ich bin nach Deutschland. Ich bin in Deutschland geboren. Also, dann von zwölf Jahren alt bin ich jeden Sommer ein Monat in Deutschland gewesen mit ein, ich weiß nicht, wie ich zu sagen, jeden Fall, und ähm, habe Deutsch gelernt. Also bin ich mein ganzes Leben äh, mit deutschen Männern, ähm, es, gibt, es gibt mein ganzes Leben deutsche Männer in meinem Leben. Uh, und ich werde darf, davon mit Lisa sprechen auf Englisch. Uh, Angela mit Bankelat, Matijara, Wahni, Glata, Arba, Hamza, Sita, Sabat, Manitisa, Asha, La, Yalla, Alhamdulillah, Salam alaikum, Alhamdulillah, Alaikum Salam. Uh, and so just that's just like uh, that's just um that's just something i felt i did make a video about this to do with lindsay lohan she had a similar um episode and i just thought yeah that happens to me that happens to me but it's also it's also involuntary and it's programmed and um one of the times it most hit me, I was in a meeting in Spain and it was kind of an international meeting. I think I was in Marbella or somewhere around there. And um, so there were multiple nationalities there. And according to when each person spoke, whether it was an English person, you know, French, Spanish, Portuguese, whatever, whatever nation they came from, if I spoke after them, I had this involuntary parrot. 
repetition thing going on. And it was just pure programming. It's just pure, it's just pure asset programming so that you can blend in and um meld in. So I don't know how long we've been going. My gosh, have we done an hour and what have we done so far? I, I'll have a look. Yeah, it looks like an hour and 16 since we started. Well, we talked a little bit before we started. So that was French. What else did you speak? I couldn't. Um, Spanish. I don't think I spoke Spanish. Hello. Um, <laughs> Hola. Aquí, Angela. Uh, you know, I can, I can speak French and German fluently, Spanish conversationally, Arabic politely, just enough to ingratiate myself with Saudi royals and UAE and Dubai and, um, you know, high flyers. So English, French and German fluently. Spanish, not too bad. And Arabic politely. So five languages, free fluent, you know. So I was just trying to demonstrate something about programming, you know, that particularly if you're being placed as an asset in things like the United Nations or... Um, you know, even the CIA, you know, MI6, um, even intelligence services, they will program you to be multilingual just so you can be invisible wherever you go. It's a, it's a chameleon thing where you blend in wherever you go. Great. So I just want to cover, like, maybe we'll go, uh, I can't believe it takes this long. I can't believe it takes this long, Lisa. Well, the last one was your sister, her oh. murder in 2015. Right, right. That's the last one. Good, okay. So, this is the only sister I feel comfortable about fully discussing because the others are in denial or and she had started to come away. She's my Irish twin. She's 11 months older than me. She was born in 56. I was born in 55. We were both born in this military hospital in Germany at 3.30 in the morning in the same crib on the same ward on the military hospital that was built on Freemasonic lines in 111 days. Um, Aria Fegberg, Google it if you don't believe me. Or even if you do. Um, and my mother said from her birth that they swapped the babies. They took her shortly after birth. They brought a baby back half an hour later. And my mother said, that's not my baby. And I later discovered that this was not an isolated happening at that hospital, that there had been many children um rejected from birth and uh and i i suspect there was a child swapping experiment going on to analyze nature versus nurture between mother and child um and then um so fiona was rejected from birth and my mother was shamed for saying, this isn't my baby, they've got the wrong baby, I'm not, I don't have postnatal depression, I know this is not my baby, it's a different colour hair, it's uh, 
and so on and so forth. And then um and then myself and Fiona and my older sibling were particularly subjected to NKUltra experiments within the Royal Air Force. So um like I was mute until almost the age uh, like I, I was taken to a speech therapist because I was nonverbal. I can't remember if it was around age two or three, but um I was nonverbal and Fiona was um what they later called dyspraxic and dyslexic and so on and so forth. So huge, I would say indications of trauma, but it wasn't recognized. And then grew up like, you know, it was a classic experiment in um, nature versus nurture in, in that my mother never fully accepted her and Fiona always felt the outsider. And she she explored, am I adopted? You know, like, and then the gypsies offered to take her. And um, my father always sort of stood firm. And then and then we, we kept doing all these exams. We kept getting examined at schools, which were Catholic Jesuit-influenced schools. We kept getting all these um, IQ tests. Um, and so... Uh, my older sister was gifted child. I was gifted child. Fiona was deemed non-gifted. So heartbroken. And so um, we went, you know, we went, like she did go to a convent, Jesuit-influenced convent, which I believe was working with the intelligence services, La Santa Union Convent in Bath. I think she went there as well as my older sister and I. She might have got quickly expelled. And then at 14, she begged to be sent to boarding school. Apparently, this is what they say. I think she did. She begged to be sent to Catholic boarding school in Ireland. So at 14, she was kind of cast away to Ireland when we were living in England. And she was put in a boarding school and forgotten. And she's told me since, like, you know, I, I didn't get to go home at holidays. I didn't get uh, allowances for clothes. That's, you know, like I didn't get, I didn't, she was like this little urchin orphan in this convent. And then, and then she came back at 16 to England and she got an apprenticeship in a hairdresser's. And she did really, really well because she was exceedingly clever and bright. Did really, really well in that. Um, and had her own business in a very, you know, in the Sands Hotel in Port Marnock in Ireland. She did really, really well with that and made a lot of money, but then she developed an allergy. And then, so then she wanted to retrain as a social worker, but because she had no education since 14, I was in university. And she's like, you have to sit the entrance exam for me and pretend you're me. And I did. I did. I, I I sat the entrance exam and got her in. And then she ended up doing really well coming second top of her class in social work. And then she went on to do a master's degree and she was a year into a PhD. She, it was like there was no lack of intelligence. It was just injuries from childhood. So... 
in her latter years. So she went to become a senior social worker and then she and then she like got hounded off the Isle of Wight. And and then she retrained in child psychiatry in Manchester. And then they started persecuting her for being a whistleblower. So then she went on sick leave. And that was around the time I helped my mom escape from my dad because he was becoming more and more like a threat to life. He literally was, you know, her life was in danger. So I helped my mom get housed away from my father when she was 79. But my siblings had such a Stockholm syndrome reaction that Fiona, because she was on sick leave from work, she flew home to mind. First of all, my younger sister, one of my younger sisters flew home to mind him, but he terrorised her to the point, my father terrorised my younger sister to the point that she was running for her life from him and hiding, hiding from him. Like he had a rifle, he had a gun. He, you know, he could still kill you in his 80s. So my younger sister gave up and went back to England and Fiona stepped up and said, look, I'm on sick leave from work. I'll come home with my daddy because Angela's taken mummy away, you know, like created havoc. And Fiona came home in the November of 2014. And by the May, 1st of May, Satanic Ritual Day, she was dead. Wow. And she had said to me, he's killing me up there. She had said to me, he hides my phone charger. He hides my laptop charger. He steals my credit cards. He steals my cash. He hides the food. He keeps the house so cold. She said, I'm dying up there. I'm dying up there. And and I said it to my mum and my sisters. I said, he's killing her. He's killing her. It was like... She went from, she came over as a very highly educated, highly qualified professional. And with from November till May, so it was the 1st of May, so December, January, February, March, April. Within four or five months, she was a blithering eight-year-old. He had triggered her so much into pro, into childhood alters that she was hardly able to function. She would make it down to my house. I'm two and a half miles away. She would make it to my house every, maybe once every 10 days. And she'd say, oh my God, oh my God, he's stolen all my money, he's hidden this, he's hidden that. And I'd be like, don't panic, don't panic. I'll get you banking online, I'll sort it out. It'll be all right, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And she finally admits, she says, I know, I know that he and our sisters are abusive and manipulative and controlling. And she just said, I don't think I have the strength to walk away. She said, all I want to do is go back to the Isle of Wight and retire quietly and give up on our family. She just wanted to retire alone in peace and she didn't she didn't make it she died she died so she said she didn't have the strength to walk away she said to me i i know you're right like because 
she was going to get DNA tests. My mum and her agreed to get DNA tests to prove or disprove this theory that they were doing baby swapping on the military base. And uh, I think Fiona told my dad, oh, you'll never guess what Angie's got me and mum doing. We're going to take a DNA test. Angie says blah, blah, you know. And uh, I think that was a nail in her coffin. Um, my sisters told me after her death that my younger sister told me she found my dad in bed with Fiona the morning or two before her death. And she was saying it like, oh, it was so sweet. He was in bed with her, cuddling her and telling her how proud he was. And, and I went, what? What? It's like, what, what, what was my whatever age? Oh. Father doing in bed with my sister. That's not normal. That's not cute. That's not nice. That's that's just weird as fuck, you know. And like in the post mortem, there was zero alcohol in her system, but there was a toxin of over five hundred count, which I believe to have been a deliberately administered poison, because my mother had had the same toxin in her liver uh, before I got her away from my dad. And when I got my mum away, within two months, this toxin had disappeared to normal levels. Like, normal levels were 40 to 70. My mother was registering 350 when she was living with my dad the last few years. And my sisters registered over 500. And, um, and yet when I got my mum away, her levels reverted to... 70, which was the upper end of normal. And um, the, the autopsy, and I can show you all those. This is why I want, I really want an intern or whatever. I'll do a follow-up video. I can show you all the emails from the coroner saying, oh, no, nothing to see here. Everything's normal. Uh, we're calling this an alcohol-related death. And I'm like, but there's no alcohol in her system. There's just this toxin. And he's like... Oh, we can't change the death cert. And then it's like, but you've named my sister as a policewoman that found her. And my sister is not a policewoman, never has been. Oh, well, we'll change that. It's like, I thought you just told me you can't change a death certificate. But now you're changing it because you made a mistake and called my sister a, 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 a policewoman, you know, that found my other sister dead. It's, it, it stinks to high heaven, Lisa. And, um, you know, I just, I just, um, it's hard not to give up. It's hard not to give up. And I think the important thing is to focus on today, you know, this is the day the Lord's made, I'll rejoice and be glad in it, you know. And, um, you know, I have made a habit of not getting justice both for, my sister or myself and um, I'm trying to change that but it's like I hold on lightly to justice in this world although I think Christians should fight harder for it I think we should fight a little bit harder it grieves me to hear Christians saying oh I forgave him I forgave him 
he was abused too, so was his father, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's nice that you forgive him. That's all very lovey-dovey. How many other children are you putting at risk because you didn't report him? Absolutely. Yeah. And I believe that the minute that they start abusing somebody else is the minute that we stop feeling sorry for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally, it's an illusion. It's an yeah. illusion. It's like I've met Christians like this. I had a, I fostered a girl and her mother came to live with me for three months in between selling up after divorce. And she was self-harming in her late 50s. She was she was seriously self-harming. And as she unfolded her story, she talked about her brother raping her through her childhood. And she's like, oh, but I'm Christian, you know, I forgive him. It's totally under the blood of Jesus, you know, all forgiven, everything wonderful. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, you're in your late 50s, you're still self-harming. He's married with children. How do we know he hasn't done the same to his children, his children's school friends? He could be a church leader, a youth leader, a scout leader. It's like, I just, as as lacking as our police forces and authorities are, I just feel survivors, and probably, I'll just finish with this. One of the reasons I feel so strongly about this is because my Irish grandfather abused my mother for about eight months to a year when my father was stationed overseas in the Air Force and they said, your wife and children have to wait to join you until we can get you married quarters. So my mum and us first freeborn should have been put in military hostel, but... um. My dad said she couldn't stay there because all the women there committed adultery and it was a den of iniquity. So he ordered her to go back to Ireland with us babies and live with his mum and dad in a two-bedroom cottage until we could join him. And then his dad molested my mother every day and I believe us children too. Um, and where was I going with that? Uh... Oh, right, right, right. So my mum called my dad. My, my dad might have come home from wherever he was on leave. And my mum said, please, you've got to help me. Your father's abusing me daily. And I can't get any relief. And you've got to help me. And I want to go to the police. And my dad had a word with his dad and then flew back to wherever he was based Germany I thought it was and then his dad laughed at my mum with her three little babies and said <laughs> fat lot of good it did you telling him like nothing happened you know nobody believed you nobody went to the Gardaí and he got worse he got worse right. uh, and then when so my mum was persuaded, don't tell the police, we'll deal with this in family. But then that same grandfather went on to rape at least my sister Fiona, according to what she's told me, abuse me and abuse my older sister and cousin, multiple of his grandchildren. 
And so I feel like my mum got hoodwinked into don't go to the cops, we'll keep this, we'll deal with this within the family. And then three of her five daughters got abused by that same man, one of them at least raped. Um, And so I feel like it's not a luxury you can afford as a pseudo-Christian to say, oh, I'm not going to report it, I forgive, I forgive. God forgives, I forgive. What about the other children you're putting at risk, including your own, including your own? So so this just seems to be an ongoing, I'm sorry it went so long, Lisa, this just seems to be a problem. I wanted to tell the truth about my sister. I believe she was absolutely poisoned, murdered, and... um, Covered up. And I tried to report it and they just wouldn't. There was a, what I call a nominal investigation, like a, you know, they pretended to investigate, They, they really didn't. And they always avoided questioning my mother. And the sad thing is my mother had um, great mental acuity right until she died at age seven. So if any of them had had, like, either the Irish police investigation into my sister's suspicious death or the English police investigation into my paedophilia and military abuse allegations, if either of those investigations had gone... I blame the Irish police to a great extent because the English police said they tried everything they could and the Irish guardie would not cooperate, nor would the Irish medical services. Um, and eventually they dropped it. They dropped it. You know, so, um, so, so I just want to say, look, we're still here. We're still here. I kind of feel optimistic. I kind of feel hopeful. There are some good things happening at the moment, and I'm so sorry to take so long of your time, Lisa. There is no apology. It's good to get your story out. It's good to hear it. And you are believed. There are people that are listening, and they believe it. The leader out there, and they're the ones that are sending the message, nobody's going to believe you, or saying that we're lying, and we're rejecting that. There's a lot of people now that are listening and they are hearing. And for whoever is still on and still listening, please put in there, I believe you, Angie, and let her see that. Let's let's fill up the chat with that. I've been contacted by quite a few of your listeners, including one in Ireland in quite severe crisis at the moment. And as I say, I, I made a blog about the Hampstead case yesterday. And within hours there was a rebuttal article in national newspapers in the UK. Um, so, Shouting. you know, we will get to that. And um, please, not for my ego or benefit, but please follow my YouTube channel, Angie Power Disney. You, you won't find me just by searching because I'm shadow banned. But if you go, if you click on my icon, You'll find my YouTube channel and all my socials are linked underneath that. I've got a blog, angelascashes.org, with coming up for 1.1 million hits on it. And the mainstream media react to some of my blogs, particularly on the Hampstead case, particularly on SRA. Within hours, they have a knee-jerk reaction. So don't ever think that you're not making a difference. Don't ever think that your little voice can't possibly make a difference because I promise you 
even though making a difference is a coin phrase by a Satanist called Jack Rosenberg, who changed his name to Werner Erhard, making a difference. Um, but our voices count and um, and they're heard. So, yeah, so I won't apologise anymore for going long. Some people, Joe Rogan, <laughs> some people go two hours, you know. Um, I don't think we've hit that mark. But I don't know if you're up for it, Lisa, but I definitely feel that we've got so much common ground in terms of creating a safe space to disclose and a strategy to end or prevent what happened to us happening to others. Um, I have proposed to you privately that we just connect once a month, once every six weeks and just keep this connection going because you feel such a safe space to talk in. Absolutely. And you have so much that you know. We need your knowledge here. And I value it highly. I value you highly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's mutual. It absolutely is mutual. All right. I think that's me done. I didn't, I maybe didn't do my sister justice, but you know, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got at the time we're in. And, um, and we all are. And I just pray that like, as we, as we fight, we need to up the ante. And I even said this to Lisa, up the ante with self-care. And I don't mean self glorification, but like, it says, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we don't love ourselves, even in practical ways, um, we've, we're, we're, we're running on an empty battery. Right. I want you to know that as well. Like your productivity is off the charts at the moment. But I just want you to know that you're loved and you're a survivor and you're a victor and you were a victim. And I want you personally to flourish and um, laugh and um, take care, be, you know, be, be nurtured, be, it could take a lifetime to make up for, because if your primary care is your parents, your pastors, your school teachers, the, the adults around you in the formative years, if they were negligent and abusive, that's a whole part of your brain you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a whole part of your brain pathways that got messed up by not being protected. So I'm gr I'm so grateful that you have a loving husband and functioning children and grandchildren. Um, and I pray that those that don't, are not blessed with that, especially will know that Jesus is our husband, our brother, you know, our best friend, um, our saviour, our Lord. And the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and God will bring alongside those that are meant to be there. Yes, he does. Yeah, because it's so lonely. For some, it's so devastatingly lonely, you know. Yeah. Well, I cherish your friendship highly. Me too. It's mutual. Mutual. Thank you, Angie. And thank you for being here today. Do you want to pray us out, Lisa? Absolutely. Lord, I just thank you. 
Lord, that you are good, even in the midst of all the evil down here. And Lord, we just magnify your name. And in this testimony, Father, that your redemption power is greater than all the evil out there. Lord, I just thank you for Angie. And I know today was hard on her. I just ask that you would just, you would just cover her with your peace. Lord, that you would just send your angels to minister to her and that you would give her a good rest tonight. Father, that her uh, sleep would be sweet and that you would refresh her. Father, that you would just continue to give her wisdom in this uh, fight with Lord, everybody, as she blogs and as she gets all this information together, that you would bring a missionary to her, a safe person that she would trust, that would be kind to her, that would be able to put all this stuff together, organize it, put it in chronology, and be able to come out with a strategy to what to do with this information. And Lord, we just thank you for this time and and for all your blessings. Just bless everybody listening in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, sweetheart. Shabbat shalom. It's um, it's dark over here. It's Thank you, my friend. Six p.m. and um, talk to you again soon. And um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's see God work. Let's see God move. Will do. Right. Thank you. All right.